This program contains material that is to be used as a reference tool only. The content of this program may not contain materials or ideas suitable for all scenarios or in all states. Opinions provided on this program are those of the program participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of American National Group Incorporated or its subsidiaries. This is On Air with Education and Development. I am your host, Christina Lashmet, And in this episode, we are talking about building target markets. And I can't do that alone. I've got friends with me here today. Expert number one, Mr. Alan Bunch. He is a senior field specialist on the ag commercial side of the house. And he primarily covers the Southeast region. Alan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Christina. Glad to be here. Hope I can uh, add some value to our discussion today. Are you ready to be the expert? Uh, uh, As best as I can. I love it. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. My second expert on the line with us is Michael Dent. He is one of our MLGAs in Piedmont, South Carolina. Hey, Michael. Hey, Christina. How are you today? Doing good. All right. First, let's go with Alan. I want to talk to you a bit, Alan, because, you know, your group is rather region specific. So for our listeners, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background? You bet. First off, uh, I've been specializing in agricultural and commercial insurance for 39 years. Uh, I've worked with uh, multiple carriers in the past, uh, names like uh, the Hartford and Farmers Alliance, Willis Insurance Brokers and the Georgia Farm Bureau. And in addition to that, I ran my own agency for a period of time. Ah, so you know, you get it. Yeah, I've been there and done that. Got my knees skinned up and my elbows bloodied. And I I can really appreciate what an agent uh, goes through in their daily life. In my current role, I'm the senior field specialist for the Southeast region. And uh, I service six of the southeastern states. In addition, I teach uh, intern training on a countrywide basis for agents coming into our company and uh, try to get them prepped and ready to produce ag and commercial business on day one. Awesome. Let's switch gears to Michael. So we mentioned Michael is one of our MLGAs. Michael, I always have to ask our agents, have you always wanted to be an insurance agent or did you have other career aspirations growing up? Um, no, actually, I grew up wanting to be an insurance agent. You know, the neighbor's kids had lemonade stands, and I was trying to sell them insurance for their son. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you had the life policies just written out. Sign here. No, I'm kidding. I don't think anybody actually grows up wanting to be an insurance agent. Uh, it's one of those things you just kind of find along the way, and that's the way I did it. Um, I spent some time in the Marine Corps, and when I came back home, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And my former roommate's uh, father was a manager with an insurance company, and he offered me an opportunity. He said, why don't you come work for me until you figure out what you want to do? And 25 years later, I'm still trying to figure it out. Thank you for your service. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So let's dive in to this whole building target markets. You know, I've been around for a bit and I hear this term about building target markets, especially when it comes to our newer agents. And I think it's just trying to teach them to figure out essentially what they want to do. So, Alan, I'm going to to ask you, since you start out with our new interns, can you walk us through the process that you do with these new interns to help them think about and identify those target markets? 
Absolutely. So, Christina, if you read any of the insurance publications, and you've been reading those for any of the last 20 years, you'll see that there's always been a a direction and a strategy to create uh, your own niche market. With our company, that's just as important. Uh, The first thing I do when I start talking to these interns is, is I establish the need. Why do they need to have a target market? And explain to them that learning the systems, the coverages, the endorsements, the underwriting, all the information gathering, that it's much easier to learn when you're specializing with one to three classes of business than it is if you're trying to do that for 360 classes of business. In fact, you know, that can turn out to be a disaster, right? Yeah. So let's narrow our focus down to some classes that that we have uh, some sort of affinity with, something we enjoy, uh, something that maybe we've experienced in the past or our family has been in that type of business, something that we want to be in, becoming the expert in your field. And I often use this example, and it, as gruesome as it might seem, I think it makes a point. You know, let me ask you, if you were diagnosed, uh, you know, God forbid, with cancer, would you go see a general practitioner? Or would you go see an oncologist? I, I think I'd be first in line at the oncology office. Yeah, exactly, Christina. Most of us would. And the same thought process applies to what we do. Uh, I'm impressing upon them the need to be a specialist in what they do with the business marketplace. There are over 12,000 different types of businesses in this country. ISOs developed the BOP program, but they've said, no, not all 12,000 qualify for a BOP, only 500 do. If you do the simple math there, Christina, less than 5% of the total marketplace qualifies for a BOP. So you need to understand who it is that qualifies and then focus your efforts and your time controlling the people who you talk to, to that market that you know qualifies. Right. And so with that, and and you've made some points in this last answer that you provided, but why are building target markets an important practice? Well, number one, you identify that target market that you enjoy working with, that you want to work with, and then you obtain or create a prospect list that fit that target market. Once you identify those target markets, I work with these interns on an individual basis to determine, okay, based on our placement ratios, based on the average premiums, uh, based on your marketing style, these are how many prospects we need in your identified target market, and these are how many you need to make contact with every single week. We've got the data to provide that type of information to our agents. And if they understand that and they know, okay, this is the type of activity that I need to be doing, this is how much I need to be doing, then they can actually time block and manage their business in an efficient way instead of just taking a shotgun approach and talking to everybody who walks in the door or calls your telephone. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that data. So here recently, I viewed your beef cattle video that you and Chad Ross, one of the underwriting managers, did. Very well done, by the way. Going back to the data, I was very impressed when I was watching that beef cattle video because you had so many data points just for different areas across the United States for beef cattle. So it's kind of that, just referencing that that video that you're talking about when it comes to obtaining data 
for someone who's, say, interested in beef cattle, interested in, oh gosh, you know, growers, whatever the case may be, that you all and that team for the field specialists have access to? Yeah, there's a lot of data points that we have access to. We can break it down by agent, by agency, by region, by state, or countrywide. Depending on how finely you dice it, you can get very exacting. I think that data is important for our agents to understand because it'll guide them. You know, if they find out they've got to have a a thousand prospects in a particular class of business or they only need 300 in a different class of business, it may sway them to redirect their attention to a different class. So it's very important and very useful. If you have an intern, Alan, that doesn't maybe know, like when you put them on the spot and say, okay, what's your one to three target markets you'd like to go after? And if they really are just up in the air and not sure, what direction do you point them to try to help them decide? Well, first, I try to find out about them. You know, I'll start out with just some general questions. You know, tell me about your background. What did you do? Did, you know, did you grow up on a farm? Did uh, you grow up in the city? Uh, what were your hobbies? You know, what types of work did your parents do? What about aunts and uncles? What about yourself? And, and I'll try to uncover what I call an affinity, something that, uh, you know, relates to the classes of business that, that we work in. You take agriculture as an example. Maybe if they want to focus on, uh, I'll use your example of beef cattle. You know, there's ancillary businesses that also accompany that. Your farmers are going to use veterinarians. Your farmers are going to use feed and supply stores. Your farmers are going to use different suppliers of goods that they need. And many of those suppliers are target markets of American national. Right, yeah. So we just had that conversation and... I don't want to push anybody into a market they're really uncomfortable with because you know what happens? They, they stop prospecting because either they're intimidated or they don't have any interest in it. So it's very important that they have at least some interest in the market that they have identified. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Michael, we're going to bring you in on this conversation. So as an MLGA, Alan gets a turn with your new interns to talk to them about building target markets. So how do you support and reinforce Alan's message with your new agents and continue on with that learning path for target markets? I think it's important that you know, I introduced them to the idea of doing commercial or ag early in the interview process because I kind of know where Alan's going to go, which direction he's going to go as far as introducing them and talking to them about target markets. So I introduce them to our focus markets as well, but I do that early on and try to find some of those that fit within their wheelhouse and their comfort zone to get them ready for that conversation with Alan so that they can kind of have some general ideas so they're not blindsided by Alan asking these questions so they're kind of prepared for it as well. You're the pre-work, essentially. Right. I try to do some pre-work, just kind of trying to get the, the ground ready for the planning so to speak, so that we can have a a cohesive, easy conversation moving forward so they don't come to me after their meeting with Alan. Like, you never told me I had to sell uh, commercial insurance. Well, no, we don't have to, but we talked about it early on, and it just makes that transition easier for him. Um, And then the other thing that I like to do is I try to sit in on every one of the classes that Alan has with our 
new interns. Um, I want to sit in those classes so I know the conversation and know what's being expected on the homework side so that I can be there to support them and help them and I understand what they talked about during that period of time and which way the new agent was going and their focus markets, their target market so that I can kind of help guide that and show them how to find the resources and things. So Alan's very busy. He doesn't have time to go back and do this on an individual basis every single day for every intern, I'm sure. So if I can be that resource and I know the conversation he just had with Alan or she just had with Alan, then I can sit down with them and go through those as well just to reinforce and and help them to find and navigate through our system. Now, I can imagine that that is a big time commitment and I could see other leaders using that as a, you do what, that has to take up a lot of time. How is that even beneficial? So for those naysayers out there, Michael, <laughs> uh, what, you know, what advice would you have for someone who's like, wow, that's great, but I don't have the time to do that. Uh, certainly you're investing in, in your agency that way, right? Well, absolutely. Um, if you can bring in a new agent and help them get off to a fast start, whether it be in personal lines, commercial, ag, or life, then you've got a much better chance of a success story later on, and it increases our retention of, of agents. So that investment in time is really an investment in the future of your agency, just as if you were investing money. So if money is time, I get that. But this is an, a necessary expense that you need to put into these agents to train them, to help them to understand the underwriting criteria, the, the additional underwriting questions, the fact finders, the field work that must be done, which is going to make things a whole lot easier to get things through underwriting. So if I invest that time now, that's less time that I've got to go back later to try to clean up a mess or make things right or possibly have to replace an agent at a, at a future date. Yeah. One of the things Michael said early uh, in his conversation was doing the pre-screening up front. And I'll use a couple of examples just to uh, uh, reaffirm that. If you're looking at hiring somebody that uh, is a uh, existing agent or has insurance experience and their experience is in uh, long-haul trucking or logging operations or their experiences in auto dealerships, that's not going to be a good fit for us because we don't do that type of business. So, you know, we have to decide early on when we're talking to that candidate, number one, can they make the conversion? And number two, how accepting are they going to be making that conversion? So I think that pre-screening piece is very important. And something else to add on to what Michael said about being in on those trainings I just whenever you know Michael and I have chatted before and he had mentioned that and I was blown away I find it so valuable when the leaders understand what's going on in those training classes so that way they know what's being taught and then they can carry out whatever message that is and reinforce the importance of it and it just help support that person, that team member, that new agent, and can set them up for success when you know what's going on. So I just, I think that's really neat. And I'm hopeful that other leaders will hear this message and maybe try it out. You know, you can't go to every single one. That's cool. Totally. Yeah, we're all busy. But I think that's something that you would find value in really quickly. I agree 100%, Christina. And just as an added testimonial, uh, w- when I look at those uh, interns that have gone through uh, these classes, uh, it's very visible. It's very noticeable when that intern has had the support 
of their teacher slash trainer slash manager who's attended these classes. And they've taken the time to continue the discussion, clarify any points that were discussed. They're being supported. The performance of that agent is noticeably higher than those who are trying to do it on their own. Kudos to Michael for doing that. So, Michael, why does your agency focus on target markets? Well, for the exact uh, reasons that Alan mentioned earlier, with over, what, 500 different classifications out there, it's impossible to be a a master of all of them. We just can't do it. And Alan used the analogy uh, of a doctor, of a general practitioner, and an oncologist, and and I use that quite often as well. You know, normally I, I use a general practitioner and I use a neurosurgeon. I talk to my agents all the time. Do you want to be a general practitioner where you got to treat everything from head lice to athlete's foot? Or do you want to focus on one thing like a neurosurgeon focuses on one area? The general practitioner has to see a lot more people, spends less time with them, and really works really hard and makes really good money. I'm not going to deny that. But the neurosurgeon spends more time with each of their patients and probably makes more money from doing that. So it's important that we focus on that. And it's impossible to know everything about every market out there. We try to focus on the ones that fit, that we have an affinity to, and their ancillary um, markets that support that particular one. And it makes it a whole lot easier. And I see the same problem happen with career agents that all of a sudden they decide, they finally decide they want to add some commercial markets or some commercial business to their agency. They want to run right out there and jump in and get started. And that's great, except for the fact that you've got to prepare to do that first. You've got to do some homework. And that's where the frustration, I think, comes in with other agents is they don't have that focus market. They run out there and they want to write Joe down the street that owns this and Tammy down the road that owns that and somebody else that does this. And none of them fit within our wheelhouse. And they haven't done any background or homework research on those industries. And they don't know what questions to ask. And then they get into battles with underwriting back and forth. And then they get frustrated. And, and they just say, well, we don't want to write anything. We say we're in commercial, but we're not. And they want to walk away from it. And it's not true. They just don't understand what they're trying to accomplish because they haven't done the homework. As a former baseball coach, when somebody would come to me and say, hey, I want to play baseball. I'd say, okay, grab, go grab a ball, get on the mound. Let's see what you got. No, there's plenty of practice that goes in and preparation goes in first. It's the same thing. You can't just run out there and start writing. So you've got to have a focus. You've got to do the homework. You've got to understand that market, do some research on it. And then you begin going out there and targeting that market. Yes, it's so great. The baseball analogy is perfect. When you were talking about, you know, just hitting the ground and walking down the street and, you know, starting to, to talk to people and getting into businesses. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, my God, underwriting. Oh, my God, underwriting. Because <laughs> they're the ones who are going to come along and, and they're going to have to tell you no. And Maybe it's not an appetite we're wanting to go after, or maybe it's a bigger risk, or there's something that you just can't see because you haven't done your homework. They shut you down, and it can become very discouraging. I've heard agents and and coworkers say things like that, and I think you make an excellent point. It's all in the homework that you're doing to make sure you're prepared and know what we want to go after and educate yourself on that business before making that leap and, and essentially getting discouraged. Absolutely. And and I'm not going to sit here and say that I came into this business in, with American National as an expert there. No, Alan has helped me tremendously. And sitting in his classes as an MLGA has helped me tremendously to be able to, to work with my career agents that are wanting to add these markets so that I can have conversations with them in advance. And the ones that aren't engaged at the moment, I'm continuously having conversations with them and trying to gather information from them 
in a way that I can start to find which markets suit them, which ones that they're possibly more aligned with. And then I can do some of the homework on the front end and go back to them and show them some numbers and show them some statistics and show them some success and then get them engaged that way. Without Alan's help, I could have never done that. Just because an agent's been with a company for five, 10, how many other years, when it comes to the commercial runs, they're still a new agent. So if I can take that information I learned from Alan sitting in those new agent classes and go have that discussion with a career agent, then perhaps I can get them engaged by bringing that stuff to the table. Hey, listeners, we talk a lot about industry designations on this podcast. And did you know American National offers reimbursement for some of the industry's most recognized designations? Agents and managers are eligible for reimbursement of 50% of paid tuition to a maximum of $500 per course leading to a designation. This is a great opportunity to ask yourself, what are you interested in learning more about? want to build a successful financial practice, you might want to check out the FSCP Financial Services Certified Professional designation. Want to help your clients with retirement planning? The RICP Retirement Income Certified Professional designation is an excellent choice and often mentioned on this podcast. A list of industry designations approved for American National Reimbursement and their descriptions are located on Agent Central in Education and Development than industry resources. According to the American College website, holders of their financial planning designations increase their sales by as much as 51%. So why wait? Get started on your education today. I want to go back to one point that I made earlier and kind of dispel a myth. So I mentioned there's 12,000 different general liability classes, okay? And that uh, there's only 500 that fit the BOP class, and that's less than 5%. Some people believe that that's a tiny market. And I, <laughs> I just want to dispel that right now. That 5% represents billions, with a B, billions and billions of dollars of opportunity. This is a multiple line play. When you write an SFP policy or a country estate or you write a BOP policy, you're writing all of the other lines that go with that. You're you're writing commercial auto, the workers' compensation, the commercial umbrella. They all have homes and autos to be insured. They all have life insurance needs, business planning, life needs, retirement needs. It's a much bigger, bigger picture than just a monoline bot policy. And our agents need to understand that. We're we're writing the business exposure. We're picking up the personal lines exposure because we've gained their confidence and we're wrapping it all with the life insurance needs. Don't let that thought be ignored. It's a multiple line play. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And it's a brilliant point to make that it's not just the bop. It's, you know, it's so much more than that because we're multiple line agents. We we can go there. We can do those extra things. And some of the other agents I spoke to on the podcast, like Lisa Carter, Jody Williams, they're the same way when it came to some of these larger accounts they've got. They have splintered into other things because of that multiple line opportunity. I've got an agent that he actually just point blank said he was not going to go out and market personal lines. That was not his focus. Uh, he has built a pretty good book of business. But all of the personal lines business he has is business that has spun off of all of the commercial and ag lines that he's written. That's where his main focus is at on commercial and ag. 
everything that he's done on the personal lines has been a spinoff of that. I think, Alan, you may have been the one that mentioned this, that, that roughly 40% of our book of business, of our total book of business, has a home-based business or a commercial uh, business on, that they run. But 100% of our business owners live somewhere and drive a personal car. Yep. That's a great, great market that we need to be tapping into is you can build both books off of working and adding commercial to your practice. Speaking of personal lines, so Michael, there is this like immediate gratification for personal line sales, especially when you're a new agent, compared to this long haul of the commercial and agribusiness sales. We haven't, you know, quite touched that yet with the difference between those two, these types of accounts that we're talking about for target markets, that it can take a while to gain a hold of them. So what advice or encouragement can you share, you know, when these long haul situations for the commercial and ag accounts might seem a little too long for say a new agent? Well, that's when we go back to how you spent your period of time as an agent intern. Did you spend it actually building your target markets and going out and marketing to them and trying to grow that and work in your quotes and fill your funnel with quotes in that market so you can start having success fairly soon after you get on your NADP contract? If you haven't, then yes, it's going to be a longer road to get there. Part of that that helps you to be successful there is to find those focus markets that we have that is kind of the low-hanging fruit that American National wants. Go after those first. Find something in those that you're comfortable with. Those are the easier ones to write, and you will find success at a much earlier time frame. You know, as a baseball coach, the worst thing that that happened to me was seeing uh, young players hit home runs. I hated when that happened because as soon as that happened, they started swinging for the fence every single time. So I I would rather see a new agent landing the five, eight hundred to a thousand dollar box on a semi regular basis coming right out of the gate than going and writing a twenty thousand dollar farm right off the bat. Because then they're gonna see a lot of disappointment if they continue to go along and not hit another one real soon. So it's real important for me that we find those focus markets that are, you know, out there that American National has all these little cheat sheets out there for. Get them engaged in those early on, and they will start seeing success at a much faster pace and a much sooner pace. Then they can branch out and get into the bigger cases from there. And I think it's important that you celebrate every one of those wins. I don't care if it's a $500 bop or a $20,000 farm or whatever case may be. It doesn't matter. Celebrate every single one of them along the way to offer that agent encouragement. And that, that will go a long way and help them to stay engaged. They all add up. I will write $500 box all day, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5, uh, as opposed to trying to go out and find a $30,000 landscaper account. I'm happy to do that. I've heard other people say they don't want to write $500 box. That's fine. Send them to us. We'll write it. <laughs> right. Question for you, though. What are some of those examples of the smaller bops that we are, quote, low-hanging fruit, <laughs> if you will? What are what are some examples of those for maybe somebody who's listening to this and they haven't quite thought of that mindset for these target markets? Sure, absolutely. So if you go out there right now and look, you'll see in the focus markets, you'll see uh, professional offices. That's probably one of the easier ones to do. You got real estate uh, offices, attorney's offices. Those kind of go hand in hand. They work well together, especially because it's a closing attorney. And those will run anywhere. You know, if they're renting the building, those will run anywhere from 500 to you know, $500 to $1,000 more often than not. Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, but those are some of the easier ones to write. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the barbershops, beauty salons, the residential cleaning, office cleaning, you know, that's where you see some of these, uh, I'm going to call them some of the smaller bops. But you take a beauty shop as an example. How many beauticians do they have in there? So you're writing the insurance for the owner. What about the insurance for all the beauticians that work in there? I mean, it just leads and it multiplies. Take landscapers and lawn care. Those grow. You get them on the books, and if their business is growing, you're going to be adding automobiles. You're going to be adding equipment. So your business naturally grows. You know, the one thing that I would say to anybody is don't think that you have to prospect one person at a time. And what I mean by that is uh, it's what we call event marketing. Going to events or meetings where groups of your prospect base all meet together. Associations, you know, building associations, cattlemen associations, uh, janitorial associations, plumbing associations, heating HVAC associations, home shows. Anytime there's an event where the same group of people come together and you're there, not only do they get to see your face, they hear your voice, they talk to you. And guess what? You might be talking about something that's going on in the industry, or they may even just ask you, hey, do you quote home and auto? These things just happen naturally. How great is it to be at one place where there's 100 people in your target market, all at one location at one point in time? How often do you get that opportunity? Well, it's as often as you decide that you want to work an event. Be there, be a part of it, uh, be active, offer to talk to them. You don't even have to set up a booth. Set up a a table with a chair behind it, and and that's your booth, okay? Just be there uh, so that you can be a part of that group that's meeting. Alan, I love that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you a follow-up question of how do you prospect to these, say, easier markets? So, got it. I'm going to go to a home show. That sounds like an amazing idea. Yeah, you'll be absolutely surprised. Not only are the visitors who are coming to the show interested in what's there, but the other vendors that are there are marketing to those same people. And many of those vendors are people that we want to do business with. So you're not only getting the group of attendees, you're getting the group of vendors. So you're getting a a double whammy for your buck. Great opportunities exist all over the place out there. I think I went to a woman's show here recently, and I'm pretty sure I saw an insurance individual. I can't remember what carrier it was. I don't, unfortunately, I don't believe it was American National, but I saw an insurance carrier booth, and I was like, well, what? Look at that. I know what you're doing. <laughs> you're at the women's show, and you've got all these small businesses there, the other vendors, and then you've got the ladies coming through asking about, maybe asking about insurance, starting those conversations. So even those places that might not be so obvious, that, you know, that's a thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous opportunity. Events like that are, they're happening every week, it seems like, in just about every market out there. Uh, one of the ones that I failed to mention is, you know, talking about professional offices is accountants. You know, obviously you can't see them during tax season. They're too busy. Right. But if you can get into an association with accountants or sponsor their lunch or sponsor, you know, they're required to have continuing education as well. So if you can get into sponsoring their lunch for a continuing education event or whatever, and if you can 
if you can get in with a couple of accountants, it's a gold mine because they deal with people who have money who possibly need to roll money into an IRA, which we have annuities that pay real well for. Yeah. So you see how that kind of starts to mushroom and go out there. There's tons of opportunities out there and there's events literally every week somewhere and every profession out there has an association, I believe. There's convenience store associations like, you know, I mentioned you got veterinarian associations, uh, things of that nature. So take advantage of those. Get involved. All right, Alan, what designations would you recommend for an agent who wants to further their education? That's an easy one for me, Christina. The, the first one uh, that I would talk about is the CIC or the Certified Insurance Counselor. Uh, I've carried that designation for over 20 years now, in addition to taking so many other courses, uh, certified financial planning and the chartered property casualty underwriter and associate risk manager. Those are all great. I'm not going to knock them, but I'm going to say this about the CIC. You can go to a class. It's a five-part series, but you can go to a class. And when you leave that class, uh, within an hour, you can start applying the principles and the lessons you've learned. It's a, it's a great opportunity to learn about what your competitors are doing in the insurance industry, understanding forms, understanding coverages, understanding strategies. Uh, it's well worth the time, effort, and expense to get to your CIC designation. The other one I'm going to mention, too, is in, along the agriculture side. The CIC is just as important in agriculture as it is in non-ag businesses, but in the ag side, there's a very specialized designation. It's the AFIS, American Farm Insurance Specialist. This designation became available about, mm, I'm going to say, within the last 10 years, but it focuses specifically on agriculture. And achieving this designation and getting this designation lets your clients know that you've invested the time and the resources to become a specialist in agricultural insurance. You know, you could take it online, you can attend classes, whatever fits your schedule the best, but it's well worth the time, money, and effort. And Michael, you've got that one, right? This is the designation I have that Alan doesn't have. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> this is Alan. Totally what I have that he doesn't have. He's close to it, though. Two months. You can say this for two, two more months. months. I got two months. I got bragging rights for two months. But yes, I do have the AFIS. I've had it for a few years now. Alan told me about it a few years ago. And when I first started um, recruiting specifically for the ag market, and I felt that it was important that I had it so that I could encourage my agents to get it and support them in getting it. So I went and got it for myself and uh, my newer agents that are focused on ag either have it or are currently working on it as well. And it, and it does pay off. Uh, just to have those letters out behind your name gives you a little bit more of an authority type situation when you're talking to someone. They believe that, you know, they look at that and they know that you understand their situation and you understand their needs and you have a grasp of their operation and how to protect it. Yeah, I think it's that feather in the cap. You know, if I had a farm and I was looking at two different agents and one agent had that designation and the other one didn't, that would be a major deciding factor for me. Absolutely. And Alan's getting that designation, currently working on it, as we were just giving him a hard time about, uh, <laughs> for right. probably those same reasons. You know, you you advise folks to get this and it's like, hey, I think I, I should probably go ahead and get it myself too. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been talking about it for about three years. 
I woke up one morning and said, you know, you, you talk about this a lot. Maybe you ought to get this behind your name as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm actively in class and uh, should be done in about uh, 60 days. You deserve a graduation party for yourself after the hard time we have given you. I think Michael owes it to you. <laughs> we, we will celebrate that. We will celebrate that with you, Alan. There you go. All right. Sounds good. Michael, you and I were talking here recently, and you had mentioned a concept that I think is just really important for the listeners and maybe might expand some of prospecting for individuals who are listening about driving to where the business is, seeking out the business and looking beyond, say, your own city or your own county. Sure. I mean, if you sit right now uh, as an agent and you Google your zip code and businesses of the of the market that you want to go after. Google those within your zip code. It's it's a small pool. Um, there's not that many. But if you look out across where you can potentially drive to within driving distance of where you can do business, you will find a ton of opportunities. And you know we ventured out. We're we're based out of South Carolina, but we are licensed in Georgia, and we spend a lot of time going in and out of Georgia, writing cases in Georgia. And we drive to them and we'll spend time. We'll drive to Georgia, spend a, a few days there um, and then come back. And then another agent will go spend a couple of days there and do the same thing. It's important to go where those customers are located. Customers have been told for many years now that they've got to take time off from their day to go visit their insurance agent if they want something done. But we're training them that we'll come to them. We need to see the risk anyway. We need to put eyes on it. We need to go out there and do the field underwriting so we can drive to them and find their locations and service their account at their location and build that relationship with them and and grow a stronger bond as well. Yeah, Michael hit on a very important point. And, you know, the the difference between life insurance, personal lines, and commercial is significant in this area. We often see agents, particularly uh, those who are veterans who are wanting to get into ag commercial, the mindset is, what's in my community? Mm-hmm. And that's all the farther they look. My late father used to say, if you're going to go rabbit hunt, you got to go where the rabbits are. And if you're located in a metropolitan area, I don't care which one it is, and you're trying to write farms, you're not going to find very many farms in the city. You're going to have to go out to the surrounding counties. Uh, You may have to go out to the surrounding state, depending on what area you want to focus on. The market is there. It's the people that are not. We've got to go find them. We've got to be present. We've got to be a part of their risk management team. And the only way you do that is by going to see them. Go where the rabbits are. I like it. Let's go chasing rabbits. Michael, I'll start with you first. Do you have any closing words or advice for our listeners? Don't be afraid to go out there and try something new. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And by that, what I mean is go find that market that you feel like you have an affinity to, although you've never ventured into that area. Go try it. You're not going to learn if you don't try. Get out there, get your feet wet. And I promise you, you will find success. You'll find tons and tons of people out here that are willing to help you and and help you be successful, such as Alan, uh, your MLGA, the underwriter. Everybody there is, is trying to support you, and they want you to be successful. So give it a shot. I promise you, you won't be sorry. Alan, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to also say that you've got a large team behind you. You're not on an island by yourself. Don't make the mistake of waiting until you think you know it all, because I'm here to tell you, you will never know it all. 
I've been doing this for 39 years. I'm learning every single day something new. And if you wait until you think you know it all, you'll never get started. Think about growing up and think about the sports teams or athletic teams or whatever group you were a part of. When you joined that group or that team, you didn't know everything there was to know about executing things properly, doing things skillfully. You learned that by doing it. And that's what you got to do with ag and commercial. You learn by doing. You know, you got a team back here that's going to support you. We'll help you the absolute most and best that we can. Yes, if you don't know who your field specialist is on the commercial ag side, you need to reach out. We will get that information to you because those folks are here to support you. We've also got the life specialists as well, your underwriters, MLGAs, RFEs, RBCs, education development. I have to plug us as well. We, there is a huge support team, but we don't know if you need help unless you reach out. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today and just sharing that knowledge and experience. I am certain somebody out there is going to definitely be inspired to maybe reach out to that attorney's office across the street or, you know, go to the Beef Cattle Association. Is that a thing, Alan? Am I right? You're right on. (laughs) All the associations. Again, thank you. Thank you. And wishing you continued success and support and appreciate you both. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for the opportunity, Christina. Thanks for joining us to invest in your business. We want our program to work for you. If you have a topic you want to hear or would like to be a guest, connect with us through podcast at americannational.com.